Hi folks, welcome back to On Call with Insignia, where we go on call with leaders innovating the future of Southeast Asia's internet and digital economy, or as we like to call it, ASEAN Innovation. We're back with another special call brought to you by Insignia Ventures Academy with Jason Chu, an alumnus of Cohort 2, founder of Codeless, a Southeast Asia-focused no-code accelerator, and most recently co-founder of CopyDAO, a learning community DAO accelerating Web3 adoption. Get to know more about his work in no-code and Web3, the value of building developer and founder communities for tech adoption, and supporting the growth of Malaysia startup ecosystem. Before you go on call, be sure to give us a follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platforms, and stay tuned for our latest insights on our Twitter at InsigniaVC and Instagram at Insignia underscore VC. Now let's get into the call. Hey folks, so we have on call with us today, Jason Chu, who is not only an alumnus of Insignia Ventures Academy, but he's also the founder of Codeless, a no-code accelerator based in Malaysia. He's also a very active startup tech operator in the Malaysian startup ecosystem. He's He's been around for a while, supporting different founders and being a founder himself. Nowadays, he primarily supports and teaches non-tech professionals and leaders how to build tech companies without code. And on the side, he also does a little bit of angel investing as well. So really excited to have him on call with us. So welcome to the show, Jason. How have you been doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on the call, Paulo. Thanks for coming on. And it's only been a few weeks since Cohort 2 ended. How would you describe your IBA experience thus far? It's been great, right? So I think mainly for IBA is we've made a lot of friends as well along the way. So uh, we've always been in touch and just helping each other and see what we're up to next, right? Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's always exciting to see what happens after the program. Of course, the program, as one of the organizers myself, there's that growth journey within the program, but then it's also exciting to see what happens when the start to work with each other outside of the program as well. Speaking of which, what are you working on these days? What excites you these days about, you know, Southeast Asia's tech ecosystem? Currently, I'm actually building something in stealth right now. I'm building a, a DAO in stealth right now. But maybe I would say that for Southeast Asia's tech ecosystem, I'm very excited to see how fast Web3 can actually grow in this region, right? There's always been a saying that, you know, Southeast Asian people are very tech savvy. And it's mainly because of our willingness to also adapt and also to adopt, right? So I'm very excited because there's a lot of innovation happening right now, simply because people are willing to try new things. And it creates this flywheel effect that, you know, like more people are going online, more businesses going online, and then more talents coming in the ecosystem, more funding and all that. So definitely very exciting times in Southeast Asia right now. Since you mentioned about Web3, I want to like explore that space a little bit with you. So obviously a lot of the adoption has been through, I would say like crypto wallets, crypto trading, gaming, you know, with Axie Infinity, all of that. So how do you see DAOs playing a role in really driving that adoption here in Southeast Asia, say vis-a-vis other markets? I think I would say that Web3 adoption still requires a lot of push and, and momentum, right? And the key has always been to get more people involved because people would describe that at least right now, people in Web3 or like these DeFi people, there's a term that they call them DGENs. They are mainly just trading. And it's just basically a, a small pool of people jumping from blockchain to blockchain, protocol to protocol. So I believe that, you know, in terms of onboarding, it's very important. So there's a few ways that we intend to kind of tackle that. So hopefully, you know, like, let's say it be non-technical people looking to launch, let's say, NFT projects. So we are trying to teach them in a way that you can launch NFT projects on these blockchains without actually coding. Even with doing generative art, you can use all these no-code tools to help you with coming up with this artwork. But on top of that, obviously, we want to also focus on the developers themselves. So let's say like developer like myself, if you're looking into breaking into Web3, for example, you might be thinking that, oh, you know, like I might need to brush up on solidity. I need to master solidity. But there's actually a lot of this like low-code, no-code resources out there that 
you know, maybe can allow you to use languages that you're more familiar with, like let's say JavaScript, right? So JavaScript SDKs that can actually allow you to deploy smart contracts a lot easier. So it creates this really easy transition for you to just even try out Web3, right? What is the buzz all about, for example? Right. So the tools are all out there. It's just a matter of knowing which tools are out there, right? And getting access to them, right? So, I mean, the tools, especially in terms of like no-code platforms for let's say Web3 is definitely a growing space. There's not a lot of it out there, but there's a few, right? So I can mention like, let's say I've, I've been toying around with this tool called thirdweb.com. They are essentially that JavaScript SDK that I mentioned, like for developers like myself, I haven't really mastered Solidity yet, I would say that, but you know, it's a learning progress. But as you use languages that you're more familiar with, you can actually learn what you do, right? And so zooming out again, you talked about the developers sort of transitioning from Web2 to Web3 because you mentioned that Web3, I guess, still very much a work in progress, still a long way to go. What are some of the key gaps from your point of view in terms of the existing infrastructure and perception? I think I would say in terms of the services and also people that are interested in Web3 is it's not gaining enough momentum yet because again there's not enough services out there that people would come across right in their in their daily lives for example right so there's a saying that i really like that we are in the age of makers and creators so actually a lot of these DAOs are trying to focus more towards this makers and creators hopefully they can build products be it even simple products like nft projects that they can onboard more people into into web3 right and again, Web3 is the unknown right now, right? It is something people need to brave the waters for. And it's very exciting in a way that as more people come on, they will start to realize maybe certain things needs to be changed as well, right? So definitely, I would say focusing more on the adoption first to get people on board. In terms of infrastructure, I think it's sufficient enough to get kind of like the whole working in Web3 idea going. That's definitely sufficient as of today. So it's really about the use cases for people to actually find it compelling to use Web3 tools or solutions. But what I really like about the way that you have been approaching and sharing with us on this call about Web3 is that you've been approaching it from a very much a no-code and really democratizing access, allowing folks who say not even familiar with JavaScript, but like zero programming language to be able to participate more actively and be creators and makers, as you mentioned, in, in Web3. And that really stems from your focus and background for the past few years in, in terms of no-code. So maybe you can share with us how you got into no code in the first place and how you've ended up now currently the founder of Codeless, a no code accelerator. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about that. So I, I think it started off with my passion in building digital products. I'm basically really obsessed with automation. So it's actually at Codeless right now is that we, we mainly teach non-technical people to build these so-called digital products as well. You know, like they are looking to launch their MVPs, for example, or building something within their organization. But on top of that, it's also focusing on the developers as well. I like that you use the word democratizing tech. It is in a way that we are trying to onboard a lot more non-technical folks that are able to think more like a developer, right? It enables them to communicate better within their units, say, their business units, right? I will always say that in terms of who knows better to sell the product than the salespeople, right? So when those people get any kind of feedback and all that, they want to communicate back to the dev team. If they have went through this kind of like, let's say even citizen development, basically getting them to participate in any kind of development projects as well, You'll be able to create this kind of ecosystem that is more inclusive. Circling back, Colus essentially started off as a no-code community when I was also building my startup back then called Hey Omni, right? Hey Omni was a startup completely built using no-code at the beginning. 
I have a, a couple of interesting stories, you know, like how <laughs> Facebook banned us, you know, like, right, confusing <laughs> and all that. Long story short, Heiomi actually first started as just a chatbot service. So we were using a chatbot builder to very simply put out a membership bot to help retailers manage their membership points. But the idea is that we are saying that there's no longer a need for any kind of apps. Because putting myself on the spot or yourself on the spot, when was the last time have you really downloaded an app, for example? And even if you download an app, you know, how long have you since opened up that app and how often do you really use it? Unless it's like something that is like Facebook, Instagram. So the idea is that we wanted to create kind of like this appless ecosystem. And we decided to leverage on messaging platforms only, right? Because telling the retailers is that you don't need to get your customers to re-download an app when they are already on Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp. Hence, omni-channel. Exactly, right? So we can just very simply put a bot on these channels that communicate back and forth. And that's how it also led to Facebook banning us because Facebook <laughs> said that there was a lot of activity coming on and all that. But yeah, right, I, right. I think that's a socket for a different day, I guess. I really like the fact that you, even prior to setting up this community, Codeless, and building it out into an accelerator that, that really builds these no-code ventures, you had already yourself team at Hey Omni. And one thing I wanted to touch upon was the fact that you said that you help non-tech folks think like developers, right? What does that mean exactly, to think like a developer as a non-tech folk? Typically, I would say that we break it down to like kind of building blocks for these non-technical folks, right? So what we teach over that is that we really teach them in terms of how to think like a developer. So even a no-code developer, and this is a big term, right? In a sense that we are trying to claim that anyone and everyone without any kind of technical background can also be a developer because once they understand this kind of framework that they can create for themselves, essentially we provide them a way to kind of look into how to become a developer, right? With having tech stacks as well. So a no-code developer does have their own tech stack, similar to what a developer would have. Take for example, a developer right now, let's say they use Mern stack and they're, they're building on React and they have this four components that make up a web app. As a no-code developer, you are also looking at the same thing because typically you are basically a MacGyver. You're combining all these tools together to make up these so-called stacks. So you have front-end tools, you have the back-end tools, you have the database tools, you have the automation tools. And once you know how to put these tools together, essentially you can make up your tech stack. So that's how you can kind of identify and be able to communicate with even developers better, right? In the future, if you're trying to flash out a full-service project, for example. Are there any types of, given this framework and supposedly it should be applicable to any kind of thing that you want to build. But are there any types of solutions that lend themselves more easily to no-code versus others? That's a great question. Right? So I would say that 90% of the products in the market right now can be built using no-code. And the simplest ones that I guess lends itself more readily to no-code is things like you want to build, let's say, an e-commerce site, a marketplace app directory like apps and simple internal tooling where let's say you are trying to automate your Google Sheet to your inventory system or something like that. It's typically those kind of apps that are more easy to build using no-code. And so are there any, given that spectrum of things that can be built using no-code, are there certain things on the other end of that spectrum which are like super impractical at the moment that you wish could be built in no-code? So, I mean, there really an abundance of tools trying to tackle every kind of solution out there. But I would say that things like, let's say, more towards AI, ML, AR, VR, and obviously Web3, right? So Web3 no-code tools are on the rise right now. And it really is to the extent of these 
these developers making things so accessible for people, right? And that's what really defines them as a product, as a good no-code product, right? Right, yeah. right. And speaking of WebD, since you brought that up, since you gave an example of that JavaScript, you know, SDK that you could then use to learn Solidity, what are examples of like tools that people can use if they say don't even know JavaScript, right? Like completely from scratch. There's a lot of it, right? So off the top of my head, I can't think of like a specific one. But what I like to do in terms of Web3 is that typically if you go to even sites like Product Hunt, for example, right? So Product Hunt, I, I love Product Hunt because simply of two things. And this is both applicable to no code and Web3 as well, is that you can go on there and as a developer, you can kind of get some inspirations as to what other developers are building, right? In terms of providing people that kind of access and, and luxury to not code so much, but able to access whatever they want to do. And on the flip side, there's a lot of innovation happening in the sense that all these so-called software platforms and tools, they are mushrooming up daily. And there is a good chance that you might come across a good one that you can actually start implementing it into your project. So, so I think there's definitely, yeah, I like the word that you use mushrooming. And I think it's also definitely going to happen in waves where you have these already Web2 developers transitioning. And then once they build those no-code tools as well, then you have non-technical people following suit as well. And I also wanted to touch on, since we've focused a lot on Web3 and no-code from the perspective of creators and makers, I also wanted to talk about no-code from the perspective of other stakeholders. So for example, when it comes to like no-code projects or apps, what are the implications then for end users of these solutions? Is there any, or is the goal really not to know what's in the pudding? That's, that's, a, good, that's a good question as well, right? I think I would say that typically for end users, they usually can't really tell if your product is actually built using no-code, or rather I would say that they don't care. As long as your product is functional and it allows them to kind of interact with you, the experience will generally be quite seamless, right? But then again, I would say that in terms of if you're building on these so-called no-code tools, the uniqueness and customization might be a little bit more lacking because typically you're working with templates and certain things that are quite limited to what the software platform itself is able to provide you, right? And what you can build upon it to provide your users. But again, that being said as well is that with a little bit of something we call low code, which is, you know, adding your own little bit of coding and touch to it, you can kind of provide something that is more branded towards your own identity as well. Would you say it's really dependent on what you see as important to build sort of in-house and what you can sort of lend to a no code or low code platform as a third party? Mainly what we tell people about no-code tools is that what it really excels at is building MVPs, right? Building MVPs in the sense that you want to be able to do what is most important, which is validate. Because the faster you can launch and the faster you can put your product out there into the market, you can actually realize what works and what doesn't work. So that being said, no-code tools, generally, like if you fall within the 90% of the product spectrum, it can bring you far, way far, you know, like down the road, even after your MVP level. That's definitely still workable up until you decide that you want more flexibility, right? How about on the side of investors? Like, how do you think since you've been talking to a lot of founders and you sort of know their struggles and pain points when it comes to building solutions and how no code helps that, but also has some limitations at the same time, how do you think investors should think about investing in no code startups? In terms of the investor perspective is that you need to identify how sophisticated really is the product, right? So in terms of the product, it might not be too sophisticated tech-wise, but if in terms of the idea, if the product is able to be executed on a very simple product, that's great. So you kind of need to identify like how much 
really is riding on no-code. So as long as you know like this kind of no-code products or no-code platforms, third-party platforms that they're using, can be easily be replaced with alternatives moving forward. And this is two things, right? Be it if, you know, like the startup has outgrown this platform or this service does go, go offline. So that's one of the main concerns for both, let's say, no-code developers and even investors, right? Is that if you're raging so much on these kind of platforms, what happens if these platforms actually cease Right, to the reliability. There's a few ways to counter that, right? In a sense that it's, it's essentially looking at how they intend to manage their tech that so because they are leveraging on this platforms essentially if these platforms there's an abundance of alternatives out there in the market you typically don't have a problem but i think without downplaying the capability of no code as well is that the main perk of building on no code is that you're able to build up that foundation first and as you grow the beauty about no code is that if we circle back to what i mentioned before is that we are looking at things like building blocks. When you scale and when you have you know, more users, hopefully you, you have more budget, you get more developers on board and you actually build something that you own, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to replace all of these building blocks at one go. Basically taking out certain parts that you need to scale to kind of replace it with a more customized solution. And the beauty about all these no-code tools is actually they are just software platforms in the cloud. And they typically have very robust APIs, right? In fact, I would argue that it is a very good way to keep your tech team lean as well, right? And not only that, it goes back to promoting more collaboration within the organization because you don't need to build custom platforms, you know, custom dashboards that your organization wants to use. And when you build these custom dashboards, essentially, you also need to onboard people. You need to train them how to use these dashboards, right? Whereas with no-code tools, if we are, let's say, interacting with things as simple as Google Sheets, right? It's pretty safe to assume that anyone and everyone right now should be able to navigate around <laughs> right, Google right, Sheet, right? right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's very easy to onboard them, right? So you've been running Codeless for around more than a year or so. And you've seen a lot of different founders and seen a lot of different projects emerge, right? Like, what are some of the more interesting use cases that you've seen of, of no-code? So I think mainly right now for the non-technical people that they want to create side hustles for themselves, right? And see if it's a viable business moving forward. So typically these people, they are looking to build, let's say, marketplace apps, directory apps, and also entrepreneurs using internal tools to build out their automation within the organization, right? I would say the more interesting things other than that are people looking to leverage on these local tools to build, let's say, games, 3D games, AI, ML stuff. And I think mainly even towards chatbot, there could be more innovation in terms of what we call conversational AI. So it's basically training this AI to really be able to decipher languages. And this is actually a interesting topic, like let's say in Malaysia, right? Traditional, like Conversational AI is having a lot of difficulties deciphering the Malay language because of all the slang and lingos. So there's definitely a lot of innovation there in terms of like, even if you're just looking to use no-code tool to build out a very sophisticated chatbot, right? There is a need in the market as of right now. Yeah. Right, right. So uh, Hey Omni 2.0, <laughs> yeah. so, so to speak. Um, yeah, yeah so, so you thought about Malaysia and, and found it really interesting about that nuance that startups have to navigate in terms of chatbots and B2C startups where they have to take into account the, the complexity of the language. How would you say the adoption of no-code and web-free, these technologies that we've discussed, how has it evolved in Malaysia in particular? What are the barriers or challenges specifically in, in Malaysia? I would say that the whole no-code movement in Malaysia and I think generally Southeast Asia has been picking up quite well. I guess in terms of the challenges is that 
maybe there's not enough awareness yet, not enough visibility, right? So, so visibility has always been a big thing for most, like even for Malaysian startups, right? I guess we can touch a little bit more about that later. I, I think the other thing is that a lot of people might already be practicing no code without realizing it because essentially no code is just a framework for you to think about how you can combine these tools to make up more robust services. Typically, like let's say people like if you're in your office, you're using Trello, you're using like even like WordPress, things as simple as WordPress, right? WordPress is a no-code tool. Wix is a no-code tool as well, right? But I, I think the general misconception for people is that even for developers is that when they think about no-code tools, they will think about tools like that, WordPress, Wix. And they will think that, you know, oh, okay, no-code is just to build simple landing pages, blocks, and all that, right? But in a sense that for no code, it's actually more towards urging you, right? Even as a developer, you don't have to code everything from the ground up. It's actually a lot of these API services and platforms that you can leverage to deploy faster, right? So this is especially attractive for non-technical people because they don't need to go through a full-fledged web dev course in order to just build on a very simple product. Again, 90% of the product that is in the market that they want to give a different take and different spin to it that they want to, you know, do, right? And obviously there are more creative products coming out. People that maybe they have already mastered how to use APIs and they see all these platforms that they can put together to basically come up with their own service. Yeah, I think it just speaks to this whole trend towards using more API-based solutions and that coincides with the cloud as well, where you can sort of access all of these APIs too. So I guess all the, the pieces are, are falling in place for a greater adoption here. And just zooming out from no code into Malaysia as a whole, you're getting into that. And having been involved in the ecosystem, even before Hey Omni as well, maybe you can share with our listeners, how can people outside of the country look at the Malaysian startup ecosystem and how it has evolved? I would say that Malaysia has tremendous potential. It has always had tremendous potential, right? If we really zoom in, in into one point, if you are looking at Malaysian startup ecosystem, it really is the best place for startup incubation. I would put it that way, right? We have lower living costs here and there's really no shortages of talents and, and support. In fact, for investors, I think if we can tackle that visibility issue, it's actually the best place to spot early stage startups that are essentially unpolished gems. And if I go to your second point, is that how has it evolved? So I, I would say that throughout the years, you know, support within the local ecosystem definitely increased drastically, I would say. So more and more programs are coming out to spur the growth of local startups. And most importantly, I guess the collaboration, I can see that between all the operators within the space has definitely increased. There's a lot of people supporting each other, be it founders, operators, or even corporations. And so in, in the next five years or so, like what do you think needs to happen and what role do you see yourself playing in it? If I go back to that one point that I really want to talk about today is, is definitely the visibility, mm -hmm. visibility right, right, part, right? That's been a through so, line. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's say people looking into Malaysia is that it's a good thing that, like I said, there's a lot of programs and initiatives coming up within Malaysia itself. But for us in Malaysia, like we are quite guilty in terms of like we work a lot in silos as well is that especially with different units and different states even have different initiatives for different people right that's not enough consolidated info right that when you just look into malaysia and you can immediately see that hey you know like this is all the initiatives going on these are all the cool startups building cool things so visibility definitely is a thing that we are looking to resolve so as myself being a operator here in the local startup ecosystem is that we are at least trying to get more founders in first, right? They, they are building, giving them the tools to build startups, build upon their ideas 
and then giving them that platform to be visible as well, right? So that they play a more center stage role in the global market, right? Right, right, yeah. right. And, and speaking to visibility, I, I really like the fact that you're working in no-code and web trees, which are very much borderless kind of platforms and solutions where, you know, you, it's much more easier to become a global presence, building solutions through these technologies. So now I want to shift gears and talk about Insignia Ventures Academy. As I mentioned earlier, you, you were an alumni from cohort two, and would just like to know how you found out about Academy and how you decided to join, first of all. When I first applied for IVA, I wanted the experience, the other side of the table experience. Being a startup founder myself is that I really wanted to view myself through a VC lens and perspective and more towards maybe a more regional player lens as well, right? And on top of that, I guess I've also started venturing into doing some small angel investing and I wanted to learn and network with like-minded people, right? What's the biggest thing that you gained from the experience, would you say? I would say just generally being able to learn from people and from their experiences. We're a group of people that comes from very diverse backgrounds. So there's a lot to learn, right, from, from all these people. And I would say that the mentors, they joined in and then shared their experience. They were also very open and they didn't hold back with their sharing, right? So it's actually the crash course that I really needed. It's something that the time commitment is just about, right? It's about three months. And within that short period of three months, the amount of things that I've learned is really quite great. Maybe you could share like one particular learning. It could be from a fellow participant or mentor. So generally being able to look at other businesses as well, like you're able to bridge into different industries and being exposed to all these other different industries, be communicating with your fellow peers and all that. And it just generally lets you kind of understand what is going on in the whole ecosystem rather than me just staying in my own particular bubble that's focused, you know, like in Web3, no code, and you keep talking about that, it's kind of boring, right? So that was great because I was actually put into the food tech team. There's something to do with crypto. <laughs> and yeah, that was quite the experience. Yeah, I would say. Yeah, yeah. As of this recording, we're just about to get into a core three. And by the time you guys out there are listening to this call, it's probably already halfway through that cohort. So what would you say to venture fellows of core three and teacher cohorts? when it comes to making the most out of their IVA, their academy experience? Just have an open mind. Try to commit to the program and, and your team, right? Because I, I think that's one thing that I was really blessed. I, I got paired up with quite the all-star team that were willing to commit to the program and each other, right? I'll put it that way, right? We were keeping each another accountable and we were learning things together. So it was really quite a great experience in the sense that we were just a small unit and being able to network and being able to be in the presence of like-minded people is great. You just have to be open-minded and just be willing to learn, right? On that note of being open-minded, yeah, I'd like to get into the most important segment of our podcast, which is the rapid fire round. So just some quick questions, no need to elaborate so much. And yeah, the first one is what's your favorite book, podcast, or resource to learn about no code apart from yourself and, uh, and codeless? Yeah, I think learn by doing. So just go to Product Hunt and just explore all the, all the products, right? What's your favorite book, podcast, or resource to learn about Web3 and DAOs? Go to Twitter. Go to that's, something that, <laughs> that's something that people won't tell, but go to Twitter and dive deep into those threads that are basically gold mines. Yeah. Right, right. How do you know which ones are legit and which ones are? <laughs> I guess you can follow me on Twitter. And I'll... <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, all right. Yeah. yeah, so I'll leave your Twitter link in the podcast description. Speaking of favorite resources, what's the most memorable class or course that you've taken? The most memorable one recently is uh, a course I've taken on just blockchain in general. It's called DAP University, like D-A-P-P mm -hmm. University. 
So it's run by this guy called Gregory, and he actually has a lot of free materials to learn about Solidity. So if you're a developer, you want to brush up on Solidity, practice writing some smart contracts. Yeah, that's a good one. If you were to start a company today in Southeast Asia, what problem would you be solving? Definitely in the edutech space, mm-hmm. providing alternative education and reinventing the way people learn, right? What would you say are the top three traits a startup founder should have? Adaptability, I would say. Motivation and just determination, right? You dabble, I suppose, in crypto and NFTs as well. Are, are there any particular NFT artists or genres that you particularly like? So I, I particularly like pixel art stuff, which a lot of mm. people hate. I will put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been on multiple blockchains now and, and uh, there's a lot of those projects that I think really depends on what you like. Right, but yeah. I would say if you want to invest in NFTs, think about the utility, right? And how they provide longevity to the project itself. Yeah, and then moving away from, from the whole tech conversation, like what's your favorite go-to destination in Southeast Asia? What trip are you looking forward to taking? I would say Bali. I'm mm-hmm. very much looking forward to going back to Bali for a long overdue vacation. And last question, what's your favorite activity to de-stress? When I do have the free time, I actually like playing some games on PS4. I play this game called Destiny. Pretty much the only game that I, I do play nowadays, yeah. So, so there have it, a, a game recommendation, Destiny <laughs> from Jason. <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much, uh, Jason, for coming on the show. We've covered a lot of topics o- over this episode, which is great. We touched on a lot of different things from we went from Web3 to NoCode to Malaysian startup ecosystem to also your experience at Insignia Ventures Academy. Once again, great to, you know, get to know you throughout the program and, you know, excited to see what you'll be working on, especially with the other venture fellows in, in academy and if you want to reach out to him i'm gonna leave his twitter on the podcast description any other like ways to reach out to you or follow you you can reach out to me on linkedin as well for those who i guess are interested in codeless how should they go about being a part of it come to codeless.asia mm-hmm. so you'll be able to see all the information you need you know if you want to engage with us that's a good place to get started right codeless.asia and yeah once again thanks for coming on call with us jason thank you so much for having me paulo Stay on the line with us for more conversations with our founders and investors in the region. Until our next call, I am Paolo Aquino and this has been On Call with Insignia Ventures. 